Welcome to Misty's Lunacy. We are here at Soho Sonic Studio with an amazing man who has the most amazing story about buying a lion in 1969 from Harrods. Now, that was extraordinary because they actually were selling all sorts of things, elephants. By the way, Reagan bought one. Isn't that true? That's true, Miss D. I'm afraid it is. I don't think he personally did. Someone from his um, office rang up and said that they wanted an elephant. Uh, could Harrods provide it? And um, without batting an eyelid, the um, uh, the general manager of the zoo, as it was then, apparently said, would that be uh, an Indian or an African elephant? <laughs> Unbelievable. And they were having birds and bats and raccoons and all sorts of animals that, that you could buy. And um, so John and Ace... In November of 1969, when everything was mad, mm-hmm. and the, oh my God, the couture and the clothes and the miniskirts the and the music, dancing. The music, the hair. The and I mean, there was no parking meters and everybody yeah. drove around and did whatever they wanted. And everybody was nightclubbing and there was lots of, lots of wild things happening. And so John and Ace decided to go to Harrods to buy a lion. It was three months old, I believe. We didn't actually deliberately go to, to buy a lion, mind you. We just went to see Harrods. And uh, in those days, the it was called the Harrods Zoo, yes. which was quite legal because it was before the Endangered Species Act came in in 1976 when they had to change it from a zoo to a pet shop. But it was a zoo then, and it was an attraction. And like every grandparent who came up from the country, they took their children to see the zoo. And they never knew what would be in there. Some, they sold, um, um, you think, they had um, obviously snakes and exotic, oh. exotic birds and it just and yes. pumas. They sold, they sold a couple of pumas. Unbelievable. And um, it just happened to be the day that we went. They had these two beautiful lion cubs for sale. And, of course, our initial reaction was this is the wrong place for them. You know, there's a lot of people poking and looking at them and making a lot of noise. And so I think you paid 248 guineas or something? 250 guineas, which today is about £3,500. So he was expensive, but then Harrods is. <laughs> you don't get any bargains at Harrods. And uh, so we just thought, I grew up in the country in Australia, and I said, oh, we must be able to do something. This just doesn't look right, you know. And um, so I inquired and said, look, um, you, you know, how much? And took a rather uh, surprise when how, how much they were. So I said, oh, can't afford two of them. We can probably buy one. And they said, oh, well, we're vetting everybody who's um, going to buy them. And they were very serious about it. Yes. And they said, come back at closing time. So we came back. And uh, I realised then, in fact, they were being very well looked after. There was a girl called Sandy, Sandy Mitchell who was the um, uh, looking after them. And they were actually only out on show for a p- part of the time. They weren't there all day. So we just happened to be lucky that they were, they were out when we went. And the rest of the time they were uh, behind the scenes yes. and, and, and not being disturbed. So Harrods were doing their best to look after them. And basically, the idea was that they were the Christmas present for the person who had everything. And um, they said, um, come back and familiarise yourselves and see if you're able to do it. And so we went back at closing time. Can you imagine Harrods in those days closed at 5.30? I think they're open until midnight now, (laughs) seven days a week. Um, And so we would go back and play with them. And then then realised, of course, we could only have one. Because two of them is just too much. Because while you were playing with one, the other one was running around the back and playing up. And they said, right, well, you'll have to wait um, uh, a month to get them. I said, oh, well, okay. And so we prepared where he was going to live. And um, Harrods came to see that he was going to live uh, beneath our shop. Yes, it was called Sophisticat. Coincidentally. That was Isn't a that amazing? <laughs> so the actual owners of that shop, um, one of them was been born in Kenya, was, was delighted. They said, oh, yes, let's, let's have that. We'll have the ultimate Sophisticat. You know. And <laughs> oh, so, um, wow, people must have been going bananas. Now, yours was a pine furniture <laughs> Uh, store. Yes, it was a, it was um, antique pine furniture yes. or antique pine yes. remade into furniture, and, and was very trendy at the time. Yeah, 
and it was the time that um, pine furniture moved out of the nursery into the sitting room, into the dining room. Right. Because people at that stage, the whole 60s things, late 60s, 70s, was much more relaxed. People were dining in you know, kitchen dining rooms combined. Yeah. And the pine, <laughs> the pine suited it. It was very good. And all kinds of people, even John Lennon bought a table from us. You know, it was very, very... Very swanky. Very swanky, <laughs> yes. And um, um, it was the, the time, I mean, just the, the concept of being able to buy a line, to me as a young Australian, was so bizarre, it, anyhow. But it's phenomenal. It was phenomenal. and So you got a leash and the whole thing, and you got instructions of what to give it to eat, and off you went into the street and, and brought the thing home. And Harrods, they gave us a full diet sheet for him, and... Um, um, we took him to the vet to have him checked over, and he was, you know, when we went to the vet, a man he must called, have been frightened to death. No, it was a man called Keith Butt. He's still he's one of London's top vets, and um, I rang up and said we'd like to bring the lion round to have him checked over. And the receptionist said, "Oh yes, come along." And I said, "After hours?" So oh, no. So we walked into into um, Keith's um, surgery off Gloucester Road, and there was Lady So and So with her Chihuahua, and <laughs> Lord So and So with his cocker spaniel, and we're sitting there with a lion, and no one took any notice. And he went in. Uh, Christian went in. He had some, had some uh, catafac shots. I remember, and uh, he was very healthy. Um, we looked after him very well with the diet that Harrod had given us, and we had. And he was. Um, he was just very happy little animal. And he's beautiful. I mean, he is mm. absolutely stunning. Mm. So we went up the stairs, down the yeah. stairs, and then you found a whole basement downstairs for him to play peekaboo, mm. and he loved to play games. He was mm. so playful. And, of course, you put a wastepaper basket on his head and start <laughs> nibbling at it. I mean, it was extraordinary. They'd play hide-and-seek with, with Christian. That was the name of the lion, Christian. And what a treasure. I mean, people would come over and start petting it and playing with it. It was amazing how tame you were able to make him. Well, a lion is not happy by itself. It yes. has to be in a family. That's correct. And if he's away, that's why in the Serengeti or the Maasai Mara, you always see a family of lions. If you see one by itself, something's wrong. He's lost, he's sick, he's been abandoned. Something's gone wrong. And so if you have a lion by itself, it's going to look around for a family. That's it right. wants to be in a family. And if there are no and other lions became around, its family. we became its family. And uh, um, Jennifer Mary, my girlfriend at the time, became like his foster mother. And the structure actually was rather, because in a pride, there are often two alpha males yes. in a pride to, to protect it. So he had his two alpha males, Ace and myself. Then he had his, uh, his surrogate mother, Jennifer Mary. And then he had a, an aunt or two. And then he had Derek, a photographer, who would be an uncle or so. So he had his whole family around him. Amazing. And he had a different relationship with each, with each of us. But he would kiss you and hug, hug and, you yes, and everything. Absolutely. Very affectionate. Well, the, the, the thing was eating six kilos of meat a day. Well, it was not not initially, of course, but that, it got up it to got that. It got up to that. that. Yes. And you had this great restaurant next door. I think it's a fascinating story of how you got the meat because it's awfully expensive. <laughs> well, the French chef used to, uh, at this restaurant, the, when the meat went past its uh, sell-by date in a, in a first-class restaurant, perfectly good for, for a lion because a lion will eat anything. They'll eat rotten meat you know, or not totally, but they, they will. And so Christian was eating these very nice sirloin steaks. But the fa his favourite thing was marrow bone. So the butcher used to chop the, chop the bones up and so you could uh, dig the marrow out with your finger and yes, you'd yes, eat yes. it off your finger. He loved marrow. And, of course, he didn't have um, – he had no uh, worries about you taking his food. You could feed him by hand. Um, and so this is when later, of course, he – when he went to Africa, which are jumping ahead a bit here, as you know, um, uh, he had to learn that to hunt. But he also had to learn that you don't share your food. If you've got a bit of food, you hang on to it. Because when Christian first went out there, of course, you know, it, people just kept taking his food. So Derek Katani was the photographer yep. who recorded his life. Yes. So he was around all the time. He was a Fleet Street photographer, top photographer, and a neighbour. And he said, uh, you know, would you like some photographs? And um, so he said, well, absolutely. So Derek popped in and out all the time taking photographs. So that's why we've got the wonderful record of the photographs. Which, and who um, wrote this book? Uh, Ace and I wrote that. This is the story behind the YouTube sensation. It's called A Lion Called Christian. And there was a documentary also on, on television mm -hmm. 
which became an utter sensation. I think you had 50 million viewers. Mm, it's been extraordinary. And, and one extract from that, which is um, a reunion when, when, when we went back to see Christian in Africa, because this is the point that um, I know you're going to come to, is what were we going to do with him? Well, as he got bigger, it became a little bit unmanageable. So what you found was that there was a church called Moravian Church Cemetery, and there was a huge garden, and the reverend allowed you to take the lion to run around and play ball and catch, and it would bang into you and throw you on the ground. But there was never any fear of him hurting you. He were, you were his friends. That we were so lucky that the the Moravian Church have um, the um, the headstones are flush, yes, yes. So it's not we wouldn't be tripping around Can you <laughs> normal headstones. So we would take him there every day for his exercise, and it, it, half an hour was enough. You know, it's not like a dog that has to have a lot of exercise. Yeah. Lions are very lazy. In the wild, they sleep for fifteen hours a day. They it's just amazing. they just doze. And so Christian, after half an hour of playing football and running around, he was ready to go, to go home and he'd go back to, he'd go back to but sleep. But he was playing with you and yep. jumping on you. And the reverend was so nice. Chris Williamson, I believe. That's him, yes. And he loved and he would watch yeah. while this lion was running around. But then he got much too big. Well, so it, it wasn't so much. Yes, you're right, too big. What happened was from 35 pounds to 175 pounds. This is a, in just nine months. This is a big animal. Big animal. And it wasn't that he was dangerous. It's just that um, if he knocked someone over accidentally or if he, say, fell against a glass window, it was just the weight of him. Yes. And so what were we going to do? What were we going to do? We went down to Longleat and looked there and uh, to the Marquis of Bath and to, to say, well, maybe he could live at Longleat. And um, that would be a fairly nice life for him, much better than a zoo or a circus. Um, and um, that, that was possible. But then um, the actress Virginia McKenna, who played... Yes. Um, played Joy Adamson in the film of Born yeah. Free. Oh, wonderful. And her husband, Bill Travers, who played the role of George Adamson, um, they came into the shop and having made Born Free, they knew a lot about lions, of course. Oh, cool. And in, during the making of that film, both of them had been injured. Um, they'd been knocked over or bitten or Ginny had had an ankle broken simply by a lioness knocking her over. Oh. And so when they... So, you know, they'd worked with a lot of lions. So when they came and they saw Christian sitting on a table, a pine table in the King's Road in the shop, very happily, not attacking anybody, just lying there, they were totally astounded and uh, very impressed, of course. And um, they uh, said, uh, contacted George Adamson to yes. tell him about Christian. And so the idea evolved about rehabilitating this fifth-generation zoo-bred lion back to Africa. And, of course, it was a huge challenge because um, uh, Christian's um, father had come from the Jerusalem Zoo. He was called yeah. Butch. His mother had come from Rotterdam Zoo. Um, she was called Mary. And, and Christian was born... Mary in, and Butch. And so Christian was born in Ilfracombe in Devon. So we've got a Dutch-Jewish lion <laughs> born... Yeah, I knew you'd like that, Miss D. <laughs> born in Devon, sold in Harrods, raised by two Australians, then Amazing. rehabilitated by an Englishman born in India. So it was quite and a circus. It was amazing. And so it took, unfortunately, f three months to get permission from in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And you explained to me why, because at the time they had so many, 40,000, I Pe think. People, people couldn't, that was, that was 40,000 in Kenya alone. I'm, there yeah. were 400,000 lions in Africa living in the wild in 1970. Today, there are less than 20,000, maybe only 15,000 lions living in the wild in Africa. They're only in six countries. The West African lion's gone. There's probably no lions in Ethiopia or Somalia, or the Congo. Well, in, any... in the Basa Reserve, we saw them. Yes, well, that's Kenya, Tanzania, yes. Zambia, Botswa uh, right. Botswana, um, and um, Namibia. But that's it. There are none anywhere else. But how can they help to reproduce them, to make them more popular? Is that well, all, all we can do at this stage is just save what we've got. what we've got. Save what we've got. That's right. And the problem is that they're all in pockets. And so the genes are going to start 
you know, they're not going to mix enough. So that's uh, always the problem. See, traditionally, lions, you know, they move from pride to pride. Well, what I find mm. extraordinary is when we were in, Ken- in Kenya, actually, and the Masa Reserve, the lions will then move on to another lioness and kill her cubs. Well, that that what happens is when it, um, another male comes in to take right. over a pride. That's right. Um, he's, as you know, they, at two and a half, three, the, the alpha male would throw the cubs, the male cubs out. Oh. And they have to go and be by themselves for a few years. And they'll find another single male and they'll pal up. And then they'll get to a point where they're strong enough to take over a pride. I and see. they go in and they kill that alpha male or chase him off. I, I, they take it over and they will kill the young cubs. Because they want their own genes perpetuated. That's it's amazing that the instincts that they if they're have. if they're eighteen months old, they probably won't kill them because they you know they realise that they could be useful to them That's in correct. the pride. That's correct. Because these alpha males, they need those lionesses to hunt for them. That's right. Because the lion is so heavy and so big, he's not fast enough to grab the buffalo. Oh. So the girls go out. They grab the buffalo, pull it down, but they're not strong enough to kill it. So then he comes in with the coup de grace. My he breaks the neck or strangles it or suffocates it. And so it's teamwork. Amazing. A leopard doesn't need another leopard. A leopard can no, kill anything. anything by itself. It's so dangerous. But a lion has to have this teamwork. Correct. And so once he eats, um, he's killed. He takes, he eats first. Then the, then the lionesses eat. And then, then the, the babies. Cubs. That's right. And if it's a lean season, of course, those cubs have a rough time. Because only 50% of lion cubs reached two years old. It's a tough time for little lions because, first of all, they, their pride could be taken over so they could be killed by the new alpha male. Secondly, if there's a drought, there's not enough food for them. Also, if they're left alone, hyenas could grab them, leopard could grab them. You know, they, they have a tough time. People think it's the king of the jungle, but, you know, it's pretty precarious. And, of course, in drought times, lions have a very... Very time. tough time, yeah. Yeah, that's why the elephants are so important because they dig with their tusks, the water holes, and they all know how to get to the water holes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, out of all this wonderful story, so we we get Christian out to George Adamson. He's come from England. He's got a thick fur coat. Ace and I have hair to our shoulders more than more than even your beautiful <laughs> hair, Misty. And oh uh, my God. and of course we arrived there in George. Oh, by Anderson. the way, the trip was fifteen hours. <clears throat> yes, we had to go via Paris, and you had to put this beautiful uh, uh, creature in a in a crate, mm. and you had to sedate him, and you were so worried that he wouldn't make the. Well, journey. it was a very mild sedation, and also the crate he was in. Yes, we had been feeding him in that yes. for a few weeks, that so was he was quite smart. he was quite familiar with it. In fact, he slept in it sometimes times so that means when he was put in the crate he did not panic you're amazing so, well we I just mean, you thought of everything we thought it through and also we thought if, if you look in the book you see the photographs of the crate the bars are horizontal I saw, I saw. rather than vertical Interesting. because if you have them vertical and he's distressed and he runs his paw down it the bars could could you know could could spread it. his toes yeah. this way he, if he did and he didn't he ran his his paws down bars in frustration they wouldn't have, they couldn't have damaged the you paws see, I see, I and in see. fact that company that made that crate they do it all the time now interesting it was just a, some an idea we had it was very interesting with cuz i knew nothing about um, lions before, oh, you certainly but you learned. You, you learned because, Living and well. he was he was such a pleasure to work with and live with, and th- there were parameters. You know, he, he was never allowed to sleep on uh, on the bed. He always had his own bed. He had his own kitty litter tray, which was a he rather was very large clean. one. They're uh, very clean, they're like a cat, very very clean. Now I he, love when you do peekaboo. He'd play peekaboo yeah. under the furniture, and you'd see his little face peeking around. Well, he, he would create that game. <laughs> And he would position himself to make it look as if you were hiding, whereas you weren't at all. You were just standing there and he'd jump down and he'd go and put himself in a position which would make it look as if you were hiding from him. And then he would stalk you. Very imaginative little chap, you know. But to see the photos of, or the film actually in the documentary that's on YouTube, it's been a complete sensation. He jumps up on you and mm. hugs you. And They're very tactile animals. Because if you see them in the in the wild, they're always rubbing heads. That's yes. the, the greeting. They sleep with paw on each other or their tails on each other. They, you know, they are very tactile animals, and I think that's one of the things 
that uh, appeals to people about lions, that they are so loving of each other. Yes, we know there's a violent side as well, but we see that loving side. Well, if you see a leopard in a tree, there's no way you think, oh, I'd like to go and sit beside that. <laughs> but if you see lions... We saw, we saw them. You we saw, saw one, yes, but... <gasps> they're beautiful. They they are, climb, I don't know how they climb up there. Unbelievable. And they're just, their tails are hanging down yeah. and they're taking a little snooze. Yeah. We had an unbelievable story. We, because we, when we were in, in the Massa Reserve, we would get up at 5.30 in the morning, yeah. throw on our kit and jump into the jeeps because you wanted to see all the animals. And then we'd have this breakfast going on by a mountain or by near yes. something. So anyway, we stopped by this beautiful hill with all the zebras on the bottom and it was all so pretty. And somebody wanted to go to the loo. So they set out the the people to make sure there was yeah. no lions around. Well, everybody goes and does their business and whatever. All of a sudden, we turn the hill in the cars, and there's this gorgeous lion just sitting there. We were like, we were 10 <laughs> feet from it and didn't even know it. Oh, well, these guys did a great job of, you know, doing a little recce before we showed up. And it was li- it was the most beautiful thing, and we were ten feet from it, and it was just sort of looking at yes, not, wonder what zebra I'm going to be picking yeah. now. I mean, never saw anything like we it's, were ten feet from it. It's not in their nature to kill humans. No, they, 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 uh, the only time they've really actively been known to kill humans is when they were building the railroad from uh, Mombasa up to Nairobi, and because the book written called The Man Eaters of Zavo. And, of course, all these poor Indian labourers were just sleeping beside the railway every night and the lions just realised this is very easy pickings. But by nature they don't and they'll only attack if... You know, they feel... If, you're, if you're threatened. Exactly, yes. if they feel threatened. Because, of, uh, uh, if the, because lions live in a structured society, um, if you challenge them, he will pause for a second to think, hey, are you further up? the ladder than me. I see. And when in that second when he pauses is the time that someone can reload or they can jump back into the vehicle. If you confront the leopard, he knows he's the top, so he just goes for you. You don't have that second. Whereas with lions, you do have a chance. And uh, they, they, they really don't like So we went to attacking. another place in Kenya where actually Will, Kate and William, he proposed to her Oh, there. that's Lewa Downs. Lewa yes. Downs. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we um, went and saw these. First of all, we saw a zebra with half its skin cut off. And I was like, can't you go fix it? And they're like, no, yeah. just leave it alone. And we saw, we, we were in the Jeep. And of course, some, they, most of the, what do you call them? The people who seek the animals. There's just the trackers. The trackers. And so anyway, we had all different Jeeps and everybody yep. was in different cars. And we see this, the whole the mother, the babies. And we got so close. And then the car got stuck. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, wait a second. Mm-hmm. We're five feet from the. If we keep st- sitting there, they're going to feel threatened. And I'm like, could you get the mm-hmm. car started? Yeah. And half the cars had gotten stuck in ruts, and one of them mm. had lost a tire. And they had to, I mean, you have no idea the fear because we were an open Jeep. Yes, but they, as long as you're in the Jeep, you're pretty well safe. If you but get out. Right there, and the babies were crawling yeah. around, and the mother was licking them. It was a sight I have was beyond beyond. But when we couldn't get out of the the rut, and I said, "Well, how long are we going to stay here? We just can't stay here and stare at them all night." It took us like forty minutes, and we started to get very anxious. I mean, all of us were like, well, "How are we going to get out of here? We can't get out of the car. We can't do anything." Anyway, thank God he maneuvered somehow, and we had to go have a stiff drink after that one. We were like, there was like four or five of us in the car going. What just happened? Well, Lewa Downs is very impressive. It's That's beautiful. A, the Craig family have done yes. that. And, of course, it's a very important as some uh, rhino sanctuary. Yes. And, uh, and we saw them too. Did you, did you see the blind rhino, the little calf? Uh, no. Oh, they've got a blind one. It's so beautiful. If you Google on YouTube, um, okay. David Attenborough has filmed with it. And it's this beautiful little calf, blind calf. And... You know, Does it have a pal? It's got a friend with it, yes. Oh, so it follows the it friend. It follows the friend around, yes. And the problem with, this, with China is that they kill these poor things for the stupid horn, which is yes. absolute nonsense. And so now they're thinking, so they're trying to save them. Mm. And the horn is, of course, their defense mechanism. Yes. But they're going to try to see if they can just cut that off. So, but If you cut the horn off, 
But they that shoot really the poor thing. That, that really interferes with the, with the structure of their uh, of their life because they use that horn for protection and things. I and, know. And so to take the horn off um, and, and would be not a good idea. You're virtually killing them anyhow. But they try to keep all this away. They try to preserve these animals mm. so, as, so as not to disturb them. But eventually there's always someone who shoots one of them. Well, you see, the poaching, po- poaching is a monstrous thing. And particularly when there's about 25,000 rhinos left in the world, about 5,000 black and the rest are white. And I've never seen a white one. Uh, well, they're the same, same animal. It's I know, just, just I just bigger. <laughs> it's a bigger, and it's got a different shaped mouth. Interesting. Because the white rhinos in the south, in southern Africa, and it's a grazing animal, so it's got a wide mouth. But in Afrikaans, white yes. pe- people saying wide people meant, thought it meant white. Oh. But he's not. He's the same color, oh, oh, but oh. it's a ton heavier than the black. Which is wow. what you would have seen at Lewa. They're black rhinos, yes, and they've got Lewa, like yeah. a proboscis, so they nibble, and like and, and they, they're easy going. I mean, it, well, they are there, but uh, you uh, wouldn't uh, want to wouldn't want to risk getting near a rhino because well, they, I know they charge. They've got a pretty short temper, and yeah. because but their eyesight. We were in the jeeps again, so yeah. we didn't get out. We were able to take no, beautiful no, pictures, but the poachers is really something that should be mm. outlawed. I don't understand why they want to kill these animals. And just as the dentist in California who who did something really naughty, yes, Cecil in Zimbabwe. Yes, and in Zimbabwe they pulled, they they lured Cecil the lion out of the preserve with meat, and then he hunted it. Mm. And I think it's despicable. Well, that's in, that's part of this whole um, horrendous concept of of canned hunting. Yes, whereby you pay to shoot a lion or any animal in a, in a paddock, mm-hmm. usually from the back of a vehicle. It's awesome. So how? Uh, and last night there was a terrible program called about them, the women who shoot lions. I don't know if you saw that about these Good God. crazy ladies in America who go and shoot lions and everything else. But I tell you what, we've slightly moved on. I've led you astray. Sorry, but I don't so mind. Cr- the Christian was uh, we're having yes. such a good time here. So yeah, with it's fun. We've got all day long <laughs> with Christian. Um, we we took him to Africa. We yes. gave him to George Adamson. And George uh, had two lions. He had another one called Boy. Yep. And then there was a little baby. Little Catania was given Catania. to him. I love the name. Because Boy had actually been used in the film of Born Free. But he'd been given to George to uh, at the end of the filming and his sister girl. They're originally the mascots for a British regiment in Nairobi. Unbelievable. So, and um, when the regiment came back to England, um, they said there's no way those lions coming <laughs> to parade outside Buckingham Palace. They're not coming. So they gave them to George, and he rehabilitated boy and girl successfully. Some years later, Joy, his wife, was wandering through Meru and came across boy, and he'd obviously been uh, injured badly, probably Aye. killing a buffalo or something. And he could, his shoulder was broken and he had porcupine quills in his paw. It was the only thing he could catch. So um, they, vets flew in and they flew yeah. him back to Lake Naivasha where Joyce had her house and they patched him up and a wonderful vet called Tony and his wife Sue Harthorn inserted a metal pin into his shoulder uh, to, put it to, and to, to put him all back together and he... And it worked. It was amazing surgery. So there he is, and there's... So he's got boy. And now Christian's arrived. He's got boy. So suddenly Christian turns up. He's got, he's, he knows the boy will have a mate. So the timing was perfect. And then because they like to be together. They want to, yes. And so there he ended. So, so he it was the, hard for them to meet at first. There was a little bit of a... Well, because... A, a bit of a frock off when they first met. Christian had never seen his father. No. He was taken away from his father when he was, he was born. When they were born right. Because Ilfracum Zoo, um, those zoos don't exist anymore. You know, small, comp, small kind of cement compound. And in those situations, uh, lionesses are not good parents. They're, they're not happy in that situation. And so often they kill the cubs or neglect them. Ah. It's not their fault. You know, it's in the wrong place. And um, so the cubs were taken away from Mary when they were born and hand-reared. So that's another reason why he was so gentle, because he'd always been handled by humans. Oh, and the, I spoke to the lady who actually physically raised him. They used to sleep beneath the radiator in her bedroom <laughs> when they were tiny, because she had to feed them every four hours. Uh, and um, so, um, Such dedication. Oh, yes, yes. It's a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. 
But then there's a lot of pleasure and joy. So here we are. So George, was, um, he leased some land called Cora, which is up ne- up in Meru National Park. Yes. So not nearly as lush as the where you were down in yes. the Maasai Mara. This is yeah. tough country. Yeah. But that's, that's the only reason we got it, because obviously the Kenyan government are not going to let us have a part of the Maasai Mara. <laughs> so we got Cora, which is the world's end, as George called it. And uh, so... It was tough for Christian. First of all, he had to acclimatise. Secondly, he had to get used to the fact that, that uh, he had to struggle for his food. Otherwise, he'd always would take been it. fed by all of you. So he was like, well, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Yes, I'm not going to fight. So, now. how did Christian and Boy finally figure it out? Because I saw in the documentary that for a couple of days they were just looking at each other yeah. through a fence. Yeah. And they would sort of, the boy was sort of getting annoyed and the little one was behind you. Christian would mm. sit there and go, what have I done? What have well, I done? Here's, here's Christian who thinks he's the biggest of whatever yeah, yeah, he is he, in the world. Yeah, and now and he's seen something some four times bigger. bigger. And so he was just like hero worshipping him. <laughs> but boy, of course, you know, a young male, yeah. he has to learn his place. That's right. And so George... It took how long for them to actually get in? About a week. Yeah. So it, it was about just, a week before George let... He said, right, this is as far as we can go. They've, they've seen each other. They know what each other smells like. Right. We're going to have to put them outside. And so this was a really heart-stopping moment. And um, so Christian was there and Boy came down and he basically walloped him and said, listen, I'm the boss. But Christian could, rolled over. Yeah, that's yeah. right, which is the submissive position, which yes. I thought was brilliant. Again, another instinct. Yeah. And it laid on its back to show Boy yeah. that sh- he was the boss. Yeah. And then they became inseparable after well, that. It took ha- some time. It took, well, every, um, every, t- every day Boy yes. would come and beat Christian up, but it was less and less. Yes. You know, right, so Christian got it. And Boy knew he'd got it, and so then he, they became inseparable. Oh, God. <coughs> such an incredible I know, story! I mean, it makes you want to cry. And they would picture they so they would follow, sort of lean against each other. And mm. I mean, when it, she first got there, by the way, there's pictures in the book. She didn't like the water, Christian. I mean, he, he, he yeah. didn't like the water, so he'd sort of leap on the rocks because he mm. wasn't accustomed to all no, that. Well, he'd never seen water like that before. Uh, well, he'd never seen the lion either. <laughs> so, I mean, he, this is all new. But he adapted. How long did it take for him to really... Well, after a year, we left him. Yes. He was there for a year, and during yes. that time, we know we had some very difficult times. Um, but So we went back to see him, and he was well on the way then he was he was two years old, but in lion strength terms, he was a three year old. He was that big. Amazing. He was much bigger. He was well over you know three hundred two hundred and fifty pounds by then. And um, we said, said to George, "Look, we like." But boy to... was much bigger than he. Oh, was. oh yes, but he was fully grown. Yes. I see. Um, and um, so. We said to George, look, we'd love to come and see you and see Christian. He said, but look, I haven't seen him for a few weeks. He's out there somewhere. I know I hear him roaring and he's, he's fine. And he's got two lionesses with him and he's doing well, but I haven't seen him. And we said, look, we'll, we'll come. We'll come and see you. Anyhow, um, Ace was in Egypt, I think, and I flew from London. We met in Nairobi, chartered a little plane, flew, saw, flew up. And when we got out of the plane, George said, he's here. He arrived last night. Unbelievable. What great timing. I know. So the parents mm. get to be reunited. So, so tell us what happened because it's very tricky, you know. It is because um, he hadn't seen us for a year. He hadn't seen many humans for a year because George was not allowing people to see him. He's got to you know, get get out of that circle of human beings into the into his lion Animal, circle. yes, animal in the circle. animal. And so... Um, I mean, we were confident he would remember us, but no one could be 100% sure. It's true. Um, George knew where he was, so he positioned us at the bottom of this rock and went and got Christian and brought him over the hill. Now, Christian immediately knew something was different because George was taking him to see people, something he hadn't done for a year. So Christian was confident. He was walking. As you see in that clip... It's um, amazing. He... His body language was confidence and curiosity. Yeah. It was not aggression. If, it had been, if he'd been crouched down and creeping from rock to rock, it would have been very different indeed. We would have yeah. backed off. But he wasn't. And um, 
We, also, his body language, which we knew so very well. It's the same if you see a friend you haven't seen it's for like a, a year. It's like a child, you know, yes. Yeah, you haven't seen a friend for a year. You know if they're pleased to see you, yes. or you know that something's gone wrong and they're cross. You can see. So he was coming down. He was coming down, and we could see that he was, as I said, confident and relaxed and certainly not frightened. <sighs> and so as about halfway down, George said, call him. And that's when he started to run. And that's... Uh, he heard your voices. And we could hear his voice because they're oh. very making all these wonderful, excited oh. sounds. He's got so excited. And then, of course, he ran. And the only element of danger was that you've got a 250-pound animal... Jumping running, all over you. ...running at 25 miles an hour. Oh, my. So that's why we kind of braced because he just le leapt up in oh excitement. Oh, my God, and he put his arms and around And he was just making too. all these wonderful noises. And he was and so happy to see you, thrilled. and he remembered. And George just stood there beaming. He was so proud. You so know. proud, yes. so but proud. But this lion, that um, a fifth-generation zoo-bred lion, has lived for a year in the wild, um, when after we've had the tragedies of the little little Catania was eaten by crocodiles. Um, um, one of the female, uh, the boy, had, had, uh, had to be shot because he'd been so injured, and, you know, then he killed our cook, you know, but he was in such pain. So that was a tragedy. Oh, and then one of the lionesses that we had had been killed by wild lions. So we'd lost four naturally born lions and who was still there christian oh. so we were so proud of him he and he had a few battle wounds on him so he'd been in there scrapping and um so it was you know he was done he'd done very well and so that's why george was so proud of him and then if you look carefully in that clip there's a lioness that comes down yeah. as well that lioness had never touched a human being before and I'm down there rubbing heads with her, and George says, I don't think we should be doing this. <laughs> no. And yet it shows the level of communication between them that he could say, this is part of my pride. Interesting. And he, they, she and her, uh, um, her sister had been given to George. They'd been captured um, and uh, by local people who'd been treated them very badly. So by the time George got them, he, they didn't want to know about human beings. Not even George had touched them. They didn't want to. They would sit outside camp, but they yeah. wouldn't come in. And uh, so, but they were Christians' wives, like. Oh. And so he brought her down, and there she was, rubbing against us. Oh. And that just shows the the intelligence of them, really. They really, it's, it's so experience. that was that year, and he was with us all the time. He did. He wanted to. He was with us all the time, but. Uh, in camp, he didn't want to go off into the bush again. What I love is the fact that you were sleeping at a cot and he was sleeping next oh, to you all. <laughs> and it's so it's an amazing story. So here they are sleeping on these little cots, and the lion's right in between the two of you, like a like a baby. Well, that was all part, and that was also two hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> I mean, it was extraordinary. Well, that was all part of his, you know, um, rehabilitation out there because. Um, as George always said, um, Elsa, the lioness in Born Free that yes. he'd rehabilitated, she was born there. She knew the smells of Africa. She's had, had some immune. She knew what a zebra, immunity, she knew what a zebra looked like. Christian only knew what a Mercedes and a Bentley looked like. <laughs> he, he had no idea. It was always in the car. It always was in the, the car. And, of course, when he first went, went out walking there, it was like yeah. walking on the beach for the first day in the season. That's His right. pads were so soft. That's so right. he had to toughen up. Which he had in that year. He'd done. He's, he was fit. He was looking. He was looking very fine. But we didn't stay long because we didn't want to interfere with that process. I understand. And so over the next year, George, very good correspondent, said everything was going well at Cora, and he had the pride. He was getting more lionesses, and Christian was doing well. And so we came out again another year later to see him. Now this time he's three hundred and fifty pounds. Oh my God! And but he was like, I have sons. There comes a point where they don't want you to hug them and kiss them. You know, they suddenly, you know, I'm dad, don't, you know, not in front of yeah. the guys kind of thing. So know? they did. So Christian had got to that stage. He was still remembered us, was affectionate, but it was very much, I've got lion things to do. You know? <laughs> I've come to see you. That's great. But, you know, that's very nice. But now I'm off to do something else. <laughs> so he was well on the way. So that was three. And then so, again, we only stayed a day or two, a few days. And um, uh, then six months later, he disappeared completely and was never seen again. Oh. But that, George said, that was a successful rehabilitation. That's true. 
because in the wild, that's when his father would have thrown him out and because he's now ready to go out and make his own pride. That's right. And, um, of course, he could um, hear him roaring on the other side of the river, roaring about his territory. Oh, um, that's so wonderful. He also heard him mating. Oh, that's a noise. That's a noisy business. Ah, noisy. Twenty minutes for every twenty minutes for three days. Oh my goodness, insatiable. Insatiable, but um, and we do know that he's um, uh, he did have cubs because I still go back to the same area. There's a wonderful lodge there called Elsa's Copy, a fantastic lodge there up in Meru National Park, and that's where George had Elsa. Yeah. And friends of mine manage it, and they send me photographs because the local lions were much smaller than Christian's genus. Because, you know, I told you it's tough up there, so there weren't all the zebra that you've got down on the Maasai Mara or wildebeest. Well, there's enough things over there. Yes, for for our big lions. And the crocodiles, you know, because the wildebeest are so stupid and they cross and they're going the wrong way and they fall in and the crocodiles are Well, they've got across that Mara. They've got across it. They've got across it. But so up there, the the lions, the indigenous lions are smaller, but every now and again they'll come across one it's larger, it's, it's, its head is shaped like Christian. So we know the gene is still there. So it, it did survive. So he survived because of his, because he was big. Because he was large enough to defend yes, himself. To def- exactly. And he would have put a pride together. And no one ever saw him again, which again, George had taught him well, keep away from people. We're pretty sure he wasn't poached because he would have been the largest trophy in the entire area. And someone would have been bragging about it, we would have heard. We also know that the local people wouldn't uh, wouldn't have killed him because they knew that uh, Buana Simba, George, Mr. Lion, had a very special lion and that he was the only man who was employing anyone in the whole area. It's a very poor area. So he was employing people um, to build clear roads. He was buying camel meat to feed the lions. So George was the only person in the area bringing money in. There was no tourists in this area. And so, um, in fact, once Christian did kill a domestic cow, but the chief knew you know, knew who it was, instead of killing Christian, which they normally would, they sent a runner down to get George to come up. So George goes up there, there's Christian eating this cow, and he's three, three and a bit, oh, this is a huge animal. So George just went straight up to him and smacked him on the nose. Oh Whereas my. all the Africans thought, oh, my God, you know, what's going on here? And he never did it again. So we know that uh, no, that that wouldn't have happened. It's amazing that somebody would actually be raped. So Elsa was set free. Yes, and she was fine. She was fine. She died of a of tick fever, very oh. sadly. But she'd had a litter of cubs, and um, that is an extraordinary story. Um, and you know, there are a number of people who've done it. It's a wonderful woman called Pat O'Neill, and she um, um, uh, rehabilitated her um, lioness Tana up in the Meru. She was a she was a wonderful woman. Pat, she lives in South Africa now, and uh, you know, lions. You know, you can work with lions. You know, they 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 really like people. But the wonderful thing out of this is that at, uh, over the next eighteen years, George rehabilitated many lions there. And so he continued his work and he had um, his assistant, Tony Fitzjohn, um, was with him all those years. And, but in 1989, George was murdered by Somali poachers. Oh, no. And Joy had been murdered too, remember. She died. Oh, she was murdered in 1980. Um, both of them came to a violent end. Oh. And because even then, back in 89, this area uh, up towards the Mali border was unstable, so Tony Fitzjohn and all of us who have been involved realised that we couldn't continue there. And so the, we formed the George Adamson Trust and moved to Tanzania. And today um, we took over um, another um, reserve called Mukamazi, and it's now been upgraded to a national park. It's 1,500 square miles. Um, we've got a black rhino project there. We've got 23 black rhinos. Uh, Tony does all this, a wild dog breeding program. And when we took it over, um, there wasn't an elephant there because of poaching. Now, uh, in, the rainy, in the rainy season, sometimes we have a 1,000 elephant come in. Amazing. They know when they're safe. It's fantastic. Their instincts is yep. so extraordinary. And the elephants are so smart. Yeah. 
really, really smart. And we and because there'd been no elephant there, all the water holes had imploded. So of course there wasn't any game because there was no water. Oh. Once the elephant came back, of course the water oh. it, they opened up the water holes. We had to start it off, and uh, one of our great sponsors, bless him, Anthony Bamford from JCB, gave us a backhoe digger. So that was our el- our first elephant was actually and a JCB. And you had to fly it from where? Yeah, shipped it out to shipped it. Out. Oh my. Goodness. So that, that meant the water holes, we started them off, and now the elephants all do it. And so we've got game coming back there. We've helped build or add to 11 schools around the edge of the um, national, park. national Park. And Chester Zoo have given us a bus, which the kids have all painted, and it goes from school to school showing slides and saying, look, this is your future, this wildlife. Because at Mukamazi we have no, we have nothing the Chinese want. We have no gold, we have no uranium, we have no oil, we have no diamonds, we have no tanzanite. So we're bypassed, which is great. But it means that the wildlife is the only source of income. Now, tourists haven't been coming there because there wasn't any. But we're now approaching a point when we can open the park and we're now in partnership with Tanapa, which is the um, Tanzanian Wildlife Department. And they've built a centre there. And they see that this is going to bring money into this area, which has been so poor. poor and for such a viable reason, because um, take go back to numbers again. In 1970, when I went to Tanzania for the first time, there were 7,000 black rhino in, in Tanzania alone. There are maybe 300 now. I mean, that's all. So these rhino are very precious as a tourist attraction. And um, so we, in these schools, we're saying, listen, guys, we're, we're not trying to turn you into waiters or drivers or whatever, you know, and servants or something. You know, you do what you want. But if you protect this wildlife, tourists are going to come. They're going to buy your mother's vegetables, your father's meat from his cattle, which he wants to sell. Therefore, your parents will have enough money to send you to university. Bingo, gets them. Wonderful. They want education. So oh. we've got then all these people as unpaid wardens keeping an eye out for people. Right. And the wardens, all, yes. Yeah. I mean, we they have keep, our... They keep a track of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, we have Do our... Do they use collars over there? No, we've, we've, um, we've moved on from collars. I don't like collars on animals. You, know, you go and you see number 43 painted on the side of an elephant or something. It's not the same. We've got microchips in the horn, oh. in the rhino horn. That's brilliant. And on that microchip, which you can't see. That's great. You could follow that uh, microchip. You could follow the horn to wherever, to Hong Kong if you went. What a brilliant idea. The technology is really upgrading now. It's, it's because a, they, ha- they had collars. They did have collars, but then the collars, yeah. the batteries run out, then you've got to sedate the animal again, <laughs> cut it off, or get caught on something. You know, it was, it was, it was okay in its time, but now technology's moved on. You can microchip them. Amazing. It's the same technology you have in um, cars, in, well, in, in do- secure cars now. Right, and then all mm. the doggies now have them. Yeah. So that they'll get stolen, and mm. if they do... So a friend of mine was very smartly about my dog. She's right need meds on their collar <laughs> yeah. so that somebody wouldn't nick it because then they'd have to take it to the vet but the vet would figure out they'd been stolen because it does so I, I thought brilliant idea so I, the doggies have their collars they need meds they don't need it at all but it's a it's a deterrent you understand yes. from somebody trying to steal it well it's the same it's the same technology with these right. chips and a friend of mine has brand new Range Rover stolen in Cape Town the other day Oh, God. He just rang up the police, rang up Range Rover. They said, oh, we, it's got the tracker. We'll find it. And the next day they rang up and they said, oh, we found it. Wonderful. Where is it? He said, 30,000 feet over Johannesburg. Oh. It was in a plane. They had put it on a plane. Yeah, but they got it when it landed. They said, we can put that straight back on and fly it back. <clears throat> Wonderful So that's, that technology is fantastic for our rhinos. Um, they're breeding very successfully, slowly. It's, you know, it's a long gestation. It's 22 yeah, months. So it's a long They don't time. breed easily or breed what is quickly. The, what is the gestation for lions? Lioness? Uh, uh, much shorter. That's about three months. Really? Yes. yes that's, because also to and go... And they go into heat once a year, twice a year? At will. The instance you referred to earlier, when a, a new male comes in takeover pride, yes. he kills... The, the, the young cubs, those lionesses come into season immediately. So that's why it's worth... To make <clears> more... <throat> to, 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 to make his, his cubs, To yes. make his cubs. And then in, uh, in a drought season, yeah. they won't come into season. 
because they know they know that they can't survive they, they and they won't they be can, able to feed yeah. them anything. No, they they can control their cycle. It's brilliant. And so if they and say if they lose their cubs for some reason, you know, say a hyena or something comes and takes them, um, that they will come into season again. Now, how many does the lionesses have at a time? Three, four. They can have you know four or five, but really? I mean they're lucky to raise three, and but the ants all help you know because they they cross suckle, they all look after each other. But um, um, it's it, it's tough for them. They really have a tough time. It is. Um, and if if anything goes wrong, if the pride is put in any danger at all, the cubs are sacrificed. You know that they, yeah. they've got to, they've got to keep. They've got to keep their male there to protect them, and, they, right. and he's got to keep his wives there so he can have he can pass it on. It's, it's ruthless, but it's, it, it's, it's essential. Well, it's so wonderful that you've helped with this park and you've, get, and, and you've got the animals there. and It's wonderful what you've accomplished. Well, it's an extraordinary that kind of mad, spontaneous decision Brought between you. two Aussie university students yes. came to London just to be part of the music. The, the scene, the, the scene. scene. Yeah. Um, and uh, all these years later, because of that little lion, we have this wonderful charity um, it's very successful. We've been very lucky. It's got some good support um, from all kinds of people. Well, you'll get my support for oh, sure. Well, I, what, I will, I will. Uh, tell you what got um, this year. You probably saw um, Leonardo DiCaprio's speech at the Oscar Awards when yes. he's very into the environment. Yes, yes, yes. And um, he's just made us a donation of $500,000 from the Leonardo DiCaprio Ooh, Foundation. Yeah, he loves What a man. What, what a, a man. Is he our hero? Ah, isn't he grand? So that's that is fantastic. So that that money we need to refence the rhino sanctuary right. because although right. it's fifteen hundred square miles, there's only about thirty square kilometres in the centre that's fenced for the rhinos because we don't want them wandering away. That's true. And although the, the it sound, it sounds you know they're fenced, but they're huge fences, and there's more than enough for the rhinos. There's plenty. Um, plenty of space for them and um, for them to interact or not interact or do what they want. Um, there's only one who's vaguely handleable. They're not really, you know, got to be very careful. And Tony Fitzjohn, as I said, the um, uh, field director of the George Adamson Trust, who was uh, last year he went into the, one of the compounds and he could see Charlie, who's the one who's manageable, Charlie over there, and he went over and he's filling water and looked around, and suddenly looked around and there was Charlie here. And he looked over and thought, oh, my God, no. And so you've got to be out of the way pretty quickly. They could go so Yeah, fast. because if you mix them mixed up, I don't, I'm sure you know who I mean by Daphne Sheldrick, you know, with the elephants uh, yeah. sanctuary. Um, well, in, Peter Beard started he, doing all that years and yeah. years ago, and he yeah. actually got gored himself, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. Mm. And he was in a terrible pain, and he had to go. But he was with elephants all the time, and he was putting mm. models on the trunks. Yeah, I, and yeah. It was magnificent. <laughs> it was magnificent what he did. But he took a lot of risks. He took a lot of risks. Yes, he got trampled. And he was a photographer. Yeah. But no, Daphne, she, she's worked with hundreds of elephants, rehabilitating them into these little orphans, and Aww. and they go back into Zavo. And she got the elephants mixed up once, and <laughs> and one of them, one of them had her. She was she was very badly beaten up. You've just got to be careful, and of course, even well, they're very strong. Even George, you know, he, you say you know sometimes when you've just got to keep away from even, you know, if if something something's wrong, you know, you can be in trouble. Um, and there was another one of the reasons we really wanted to, we had to move Christian from the King's Road was because of his weight and the fact that he may have hurt himself and hurt someone else. And uh, I mean, one of the defining moments was um, these, we used to sit on this wonderful pine table in the evening and all the children used to come around and see him. And we didn't let them in because lions and children, they don't, they're not quite sure. Tricky. Never want to take the risk. And... Um, Anyhow, a car backfired or something. He got a fright, and so he jumped up, and the table was going to be delivered the next day, so it, it hadn't been pegged in, and so the whole tabletop went. Oh, no. And his claws just went straight down oh, the table. Oh, no. Ruined it. So I ran, oh, no. So I rang up this woman. I said, look, I'm really sorry. Yes, but my lion just... <laughs> we've got to resurface your table because Christian's ruined it. She said, leave it, leave it. That's why I came to see you. <laughs> So she's still got a table with his lion 
oh. claw marks down it. Well, thank goodness she didn't get yelled at. No. Now, the, some lady, a California woman by the name of Lisa Williams was a student in 2006, and she took such an interest. And she's is she the one who... who Put it out there. You said she found it on a Japanese... Some obscure Japanese obscure. website. And because someone rang me up and said, look, there's a couple of long-haired idiots with a lion on this clip. You know, <laughs> as you had a lion, you, you, would you like to have a look at it? So I looked up and I said, my God, we are those long-haired idiots. How did this happen? Um, no idea. Eventually, of course, we found out. And a young um, uh, English actor found yes. it and he was the one who, who put it together because uh, Lisa, what well Lisa, Lisa found was just a, was, um, there was no soundtrack. I see. So this guy found it and he was the one who put the whole thing together with the Whitney Houston soundtrack and he'd researched and he found out who we were and, you know, where we were. And it's and on YouTube still to this still day. It's still on YouTube. It's the, called The Lion Called Christian, yes, isn't it? it? Or Lion Reunion. Lion but, Reunion. reunion. And it's, it's a documentary. Yeah. It's, a, the, it's taken from the documentary A Lion Called Christian yes. or Lion at World's End. It has different titles. Yes. But if you just Google Lion Reunion, it comes up. And the last audited um, figure was over 100 million. And we stopped there. That and, is extraordinary. And the wonderful thing about it, Miss D, is that uh, schools use it in, in, uh, as, as a tool. Exactly. And I go around to schools talking a lot to these kids. And they, sh you know, they say, right, today we're going to talk, boys and girls, we're going to talk about degradation of the environment. Ho-hum, you know. They come in, they show that. And, say, and they go mad. You've got them. And they say, look, this is, this animal is now threatened. His world is threatened. The, you know, the, it's a very it, useful It gives them tool. awareness. And it goes on from lions to elephants <sighs> to tigers to leopards to everything. So interesting that Christians become part of a school curriculum. <laughs> and it's very interesting when you watch it because the kids never tear up. They cheer. They say, isn't this fantastic? Isn't he wonderful? You look around and the teachers all tear up. Adults do because we've all experienced separation in our lives. It's like at airports. Everyone's crying. Mom, I haven't seen you. Dad, I haven't seen you. Everyone's crying. It's oh, reunion. Yeah. And the kids think yeah. it's all great. Yes, you're almost crying now. <laughs> it's, but that's what it's about. Oh, but it's so touching. And the, the fact that here is a semi-wild animal remembering his friends... And, you know, talk about being a lion of two worlds. You know, he could move in and out. But eventually, Elsa was a lioness of two worlds because yeah. she was backwards and forwards all the time. She never made the final break. Christian did. And, you know, George always said that was his great, a great moment in his life to know that he oh. succeeded in rehabilitating a fifth-generation lion. Amazing. The instincts are there. It's marked. So she helped put it together to 2006, along with your friend who did the sound. Sound. And, uh, I mean, I thought it was only 50,000. I can't believe it's 100,000. Uh, it's phenomenal. Millions and millions. It's a phenomenal. What a joy. What a treat for you. I'm well, so impressed. I'm so glad. It's brought pleasure to, to, to so, so many people. Yes, and yes. we've had so many wonderful letters and so much support for the charity. You know, kids you know, send in a pound or something and... You know, it's it's terrific, we've, and we've had great support uh, across the board. We've just had Prince Harry down staying with us down there. Oh, good. He's a, he's a great supporter, and of course, wasn't he just at Kensington, Prince Harry? Well, he's, he's everywhere. I know, <laughs> but I mean, he, when did because he? Was oh just, no, no, this was a few weeks, a few months oh, ago. Oh, he was oh down I see. There. Because yeah. Mel Mel Melinda uh, went, saw him when she was oh, yeah. at Kensington. He was there, mm -hmm. and he's also a big. Uh, uh, about animals and he's, uh, about, uh, yes. he's very good about that. Oh, he, I mean, he's, he's got some very fine charities. In, yes, in, he including does. Including the, 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 the Paralympic things. Fantastic. But he and, and um, uh, Prince William, he's the patron of a charity yeah. called Tusk. Very good charity indeed. And, um, and Tusk support us. So we're a very small charity. We've got a big project. Well, but, now that Leonardo's helping. But now we've got people like that. And we've got That's Ant one. Anthony Bamford and Suzuki Holland because Suzuki sell a little Jeep called a Rhino. <laughs> so if you're the best, uh, highest-selling Suzuki salesman in Holland a year, you get a prize to come and stay with us. At oh, there. that's wonderful. So, that's, so we do have some corporate responsibility because corporations are realising that they are a responsibility. You know, in the last 40 years, 50% of the world's wildlife has gone. Half. It's terrible. In our lifetime. 
So whether but you you explained it to me, you said that there was not the land. Yeah, it's it's, it's the, the demand for the land. It's the demand, for and the so land. this this population is exploding. Um, when the Europeans first went to Kenya, there were two and a half million people there. At Uhuru, at Freedom in 1955, there were five million. There are 60 million today. And they all need to be fed. They all need their shambas. They all need their farms. And where are they taking those farms? From the lion's uh, natural habitat. That's true. And they're taking it from, from everything. It's not just the lions. You know, they're just taking it. And so, and, out, and things like the elephants are getting more and more compacted into the areas they are, which means they do the damage they do is com compounded because they're in the same areas. And it's, you know, it's... Well, they were so overly populated. I mean, it's... That's the problem. We're mm. growing. Okay. Well, I am just impressed with you, and I'm so pleased that we heard all of these stories. Well, I love talking to they you. They were <laughs> fascinating. Well, you're just so intelligent. I don't And know. somebody, and you've got to get this book. Everybody's got to get this book. A line called Christian, and you've got to go to the YouTube. So... Please tell us again the title for the YouTube. Yeah, ju just Lion Reunion. Lion that Reunion. Will, that will get you there. I think I found it through Documentary Christian, the Lion. Also it could. Lion. It's on so many, it's it's on on so many sites yes. now. We've yes. lost track of it. But the book you can get on, uh, you, can, uh, you can get that on Amazon. Absolutely. Yeah. It's That's easy. Uh, it's, uh, the pictures, it'll just move you to tears. Now, we unfortunately have to wrap up, but I have to wrap up with my little line. Lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. God bless and have a wonderful day. Oh, what fun. <laughs>